This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumeble. And I'm Yannick Ringer. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? Developing Alexa skills. Nice. But before we start, I think you have some follow-up. Yep, I'm going to try to speed through these uh, because we have quite a bit of follow-up this week. Uh, so first off, on last episode, we had some follow-up about Serato DJ Pro, and I was really looking forward to upgrading to the newest version. However, oh, that's true. The day after we recorded, I saw a bunch of tweets from some DJs I'm friends with in Japan telling their followers not to update to Serato DJ Pro because its Japanese language support got even worse. Uh, previ- previous versions of Serato DJ didn't let you search for non-ASCII characters, which meant you couldn't search for songs with <sighs> Chinese, Japanese, or Korean names. Uh, and wow. now Serato DJ Pro just crashes when trying to play AACs with CJK characters in their song names. That's nice. Yep, so needless to say, uh, I've held off on upgrading to the newest version because a good part of my library is tagged with Japanese characters, and some of it comes from the iTunes store, which means AAC, Uh, and it would really be nice for them to get their shit together because the entirety of the Japanese market who loves Serato is going to be switching to Pioneer's Record Box very soon if they don't, Uh, although Record Box has been having some different reliability issues recently, but I don't want to get into that for this follow-up because there's enough follow-up as is. Next up, on episode 83, I lamented the lack of good command line scripting on Windows and finding the process of installing a good scripting language to be incredibly cumbersome. And then I found out about Scoop, which is a Windows equivalent to the Max Homebrew Package Manager, and it allows easy installation of binaries of popular programming languages and developer tools. So you can find that at scoop.sh. And as an added bonus, uh, Scoop installs into a user's home directory, which means if you're in an environment where you're unauthorized to modify the program files directory, but still have the right to run arbitrary EXEs, uh, then you can use all of your favorite Unix tools and programming languages in that environment. Secondly, installing Git for Windows installs a mini MSYS environment with Bash and Perl. So if your business uses Git, you may actually be able to get away with writing vanilla Perl scripts that you can redistribute to your coworkers. Um, so what I ended up doing in practice is I ended up prototyping the script that I wanted to write in Perl on my machine. And then, uh, my boss told me, this is really cool, but you need to make a GUI for it. So I made it into a .NET executable, but yeah, so I ended up making my tool that I wanted to, and we have started using it in production as of last week. So that is cool. Oh, and the simple solution was not to make scripts to just make it to .NET app. I would prefer to use it as a command line script, but I'm the only person who thinks this because, well, actually, technically now there are two Unix nerds and the rest, two Unix nerds and three Windows people. Uh, so we are still outnumbered. Uh, so yeah, for now, we need to make a GUI and .NET is the solution for that. Now the most important follow-up. On episode 67, we talked about how the death of Steve Jobs and the firing of Scott Forstall changed Apple for the worse. And I'm a few... Whoa, 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 whoa. you said that. Well, okay, I said that. I did not approve of that topic, by the way. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm a few weeks late on this one because I forgot to add it to follow up for the last two episodes, but you've probably heard Marco mention it on literally every podcast he's ever been on in the past month. Uh, There's a fantastic episode of The Menu Bar with Bob Burrows, which is a former Apple employee, detailing the internal changes in power following Forstall's departure, and it confirms a lot of theories that had been going around... uh, regarding Johnny Ev's design group basically ringing supreme over the company and shutting down internal criticism about their bad design choices. And the title of that episode was Creative Dictator. This is the risk with having a creative dictator. If someone with bad taste or bad judgment is in charge and they don't have a strong opinions, weakly held mentality like Jobs and Forrestal did, they can go uncontested and ruin Apple for years. So that's part one of this Scott Forrestal uh, follow-up. Then part two is WWDC 18 was announced. And the key visual, as usual, whenever Apple releases a graphic of literally anything, people start overanalyzing it. And I think we need to be cautious of putting too much value into WWDC design Kremlinology, but the banner that they put out definitely does feature a lot of UI elements in a much more dimensional and real-world style, which is leading some to believe that Apple will be switching away from the flat design that has been in iOS for the last five years. Now, this has caused all of the Forstall supporters on Twitter to be completely furious because so much of the outside narrative around Forstall being fired revolved around his desire to keep design on the iPhone rooted in real-world materials and metaphors to keep things approachable. And how would Apple explain to developers that all of the reasons why they moved to a flat design with iOS 7 are no longer valid without it making it seem like they were never valid in the first place and iOS design just started being shit in iOS 7? So that's part two. Then there's part three, which is 
like breaking as of yesterday, which is uh, the information's Jessica Lesson posted a piece about the problems with Siri internally at Apple, which sort of ties into this episode a little bit. Uh, when Steve Jobs died, basically Steve Jobs had the big vision behind Siri, and I guess he never really wrote it anywhere or something, and like the vision died alongside Steve Jobs, which unfortunately died like the day after Siri was announced. So the team was like sort of without guidance, except for Scott Forstall, which was a, like, he devoured Siri, like, he used it every day, and he kept coming back with constructive crea- uh, criticism, but perhaps his biggest mistake was entrusting the project to the person who made Apple Maps, which, <laughs> I mean, like, it, it sounds like a bad joke, but no, it's actually true. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And the quotes regarding, if the quotes from the uh, founder of the original Siri company are just amazing. It's hilarious. There's so oh, much drama about this. <laughs> But it is kind of a, like, it seems that some people decided to, um, I would say, wash their dirty clothes on the public place, and then they just got pushed back because of that. They're like, I don't want to do this, but since you're there already, let's do this. Yep. So if you're into Apple TMZ, uh, there is going to be <laughs> a lot of good shit to read in the show notes. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, however, we have a very packed show today, so we're going to move on to the actual topic. Are you ready for this? I am. Well, first, I need to start with a disclaimer. If you're the owner of an Amazon Echo or Alexa-powered device and are listening to this on speakers, I would strongly suggest muting Alexa, as I am not going to beep every single time I say the word Alexa on the show, because I have other stuff to do this weekend than edit the show like this. That's a good disclaimer. Yep. So, this week we are talking about developing Alexa skills. What is an Alexa skill? Well, Alexa skills are like apps for the Alexa voice assistant. Except, not quite. So, our Apple-centric view on things on the show tends to color how we see apps. Apps are something that are installed on a device and then run. When we want to enable something new with Siri, we need to install an app on all the devices we want to use it with. Alexa is different. There's one Alexa for your user account in the cloud, and she can learn skills simply by telling her, Alexa, learn the, insert name here, skill. And in practice, what this does is it adds a dictionary of nouns and verbs to Alexa's vocabulary and associates those with API endpoints on your servers and or Amazon AWS. So uh, before we go into the technical details of how you make a skill, uh, which is something that has intrigued me for quite a while because we keep hearing about how to build web apps, how to build mobile apps. You don't really hear people talk about what it takes to actually build an Alexa skill. So we're going to be talking about that this episode. But first, I want to lay out all of the different kinds of skills that exist. These are separate templates you can select from when building a skill on the Amazon portal. Some of these may come as a surprise to you because... Admittedly, some of them are quite obscure. Uh, let's start with one of the most visible ones, though, which is the flash briefing skills. If you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can ask Alexa what's new, and you get to listen to your flash briefing. In the Alexa app, you get to configure what information you want played in your flash briefing. Generally, this is weather, traffic, and some news headlines. And the intended use case for flash briefings is for you to listen to it first thing in the morning as you're starting your day. Though some flash briefing skills actually update hourly, like um, I believe NPR and a couple other radio stations make their hourly news, uh, national news broadcasts, flash briefings, so you can subscribe to those and ask at any time of the day and get relevant information. Creating a flash briefing skill is very different from the rest of the skills because effectively all you're doing is you're giving it an RSS feed for a podcast and it just magically does the rest. Um, there is one catch, however. Uh, if you are making a flash briefing skill, flash briefing skills are limited to a single language. And unfortunately, how Amazon defines a language is the combination of the country and the language, which means... If you make a podcast and only make it available to English US, English Canada cannot install it, English UK cannot install it, and you cannot make a flash briefing skill available to multiple languages, you have to submit separate flash briefing skills for each language. This is completely stupid, and I hope they change this. Oh, okay, so that will explain some of the uh, news we got from RelayFM recently about their flash briefing skill where they needed some more time to be approved for different regions. Correct. Other types of skills do not have the same exact limitation. Uh, They let you add as many languages as you want to the other skills. However, many people simply 
do not bother adding anything other than English US, which means some major services are not available in Canada, like IFTTT, which greatly limits the potential of what Alexa can do here, when in reality, it's really just they have to check another checkbox and paste a couple things into some text boxes, and they could be up and running in Canada. Next up, smart home skills. If your smart home device that you are developing in this hypothetical context does not use the ZigBee standard, which is supported on the Echo Plus, you need a smart home skill to enable direct communication between the Echo and your smart home devices. This exposes your smart home device to the smart home section of the Alexa app, so you can turn the device on and off via the app remotely and handle brightness or whatever, depending on what class of device it is, uh, and the home automation features within the Alexa app. So again, this is primarily intended for manufacturers of smart home devices. I am not a manufacturer of a smart home device, so I'm not going to be spending much time on this because I don't have anything to say about it. Next up, video skills. Uh, this might sound a little weird because it's a cylinder with no screen, or at least many of the Echoes that are sold are cylinders without screens. Uh, this is not what you're thinking either. It's a standard user interface to control TVs and smart set-top boxes that wish to be controllable with Alexa. Um, it works as much with traditional channel-based television as it does for streaming video services with large catalogs of media. And this is presumably an abstract version of the voice control that's supported by Amazon Fire TV devices. So yeah, confusingly, this is not the same thing as a skill that adds video content to Echo devices with screens. That is a different thing, but it's still called a video skill, even though you are not watching video with it. And it's only available in US, UK, and Germany, so there's not much more I can say about it. Then there's list skills. List skills operate in a very different interaction model than the rest of the skills that I've listed so far because they are never triggered by a user making an explicit request to your skill. Instead, your skill responds to events and notifications about changes to Alexa lists. So Alexa lists, uh, Alexa has built-in support for basic to-do and shopping lists. Uh, so you can say, Alexa, add milk to my shopping list. And that goes into the Amazon cloud into some list called shopping that you can get to via the Alexa app. Um, but let's say you have another list app that you're developing and you want to sync with the Alexa uh, list system, you can do so. And you can say, okay, I'm going to subscribe to notifications about this listing. Uh, and I believe this is how IFTTT's skill syncs with Apple reminders if you enable that in IFTTT. Uh, which is something I would really like to do, except I can't because it's not available in Canada. Uh, so fun. Oh, by doing so, like if IFTTT would be uh, would be available in Canada, you would be able to say, Alexa, remind me of this, and then it would sing back into Apple. Yep, uh, and because IFTTT oh. is sort of like plumbing for the internet, you could also use this with a bunch of other uh, to-do list services that do not necessarily have Alexa support. And next up is the one we're going to be spending the bulk of the episode talking about, which is custom skills. It's the vast majority of skills that are out there. It is the most flexible skill type, as it doesn't really define anything itself, and allows you to fully customize how your skill is invoked, doesn't require you to respond to any more than three default intents that every skill is required to respond to, which is cancel, stop, and help. So in order to learn how custom skills worked, I decided to go ahead and make my own custom skill. It's called Horned Owl. Uh, it is a skill that enables you to ask Alexa for scores and game information for the Overwatch League, which is the big Overwatch esports league currently in its inaugural season. This is just a detail in the grand scheme of things. You don't need to know anything about Overwatch to understand the rest of this episode, don't worry. And we're going to go through step-by-step step, uh, through the steps involved in creating a skill and my thoughts on the whole process. Right, I guess the only thing we need to know is there's games, there's like scores that you need to ask and like just typical like vocabulary for any e-sports or just normal sports related stuff yeah you could just pretend this entire episode is about hockey and it would still work <laughs> like seriously there's nothing specific about overwatch in this entire episode um, except maybe the team names um, so step zero you need to sign up as an amazon developer this is the si same type of account you would have if you sell android apps in the amazon app store crickets, crickets, or if you sell digital PC games through Amazon, which is becoming more popular now that this also means selling digital PC games through Twitch. You will need this account to get to the skills console, which is your admin panel for all of your Alexa skills. Uh, I should note, while we're talking about 
monetization and all that stuff. That currently there are only uh, a few limited ways to monetize Alexa skills via purchases and subscriptions, and I believe that's only available for certain qu- uh, categories of applications and only in the U.S. at this time. So you won't need to fill out any tax paperwork to actually get up and running on the Alexa skills dashboard. Step one: create an empty skill in the Alexa Developer Console. Uh, just enter a name for your skill and choose what type of skill you want it to be. Uh, we're going to choose custom skill for this because, I mean, that's the one I decided to make. Uh, and this just adds a new entry to the Alexa developer console with that name. It's like adding a new app to iTunes Connect. Uh, be aware that this name does not necessarily mean the final name that you're going to put up on the Amazon skills directory. Uh, so that is a good thing to note. Uh, but probably don't put anything stupid there that you might regret later because it might show up somewhere somehow that I'm not aware of. Step two, set the invocation name in Alexa Developer Console. So this is the name with which Alexa will recognize what app to dispatch a user command to. So if I set my invocation name to Horned Owl, then my users can ask, Alexa, ask Horned Owl what the current game score is. Or Alexa, What's the current game score from Horned Owl? It doesn't actually need to be in a specific syntax. Uh, there was a lot of early criticism about Alexa that said it was too much like a command line. You had to stick to a certain structure when asking things of third-party apps too often. And in the last year, they have made tremendous progress, so that now the ordering of your words doesn't really matter anymore, um, which is really great. Now you might be saying, well, why does this exist distinctly from the skill name? Well, if Alexa has trouble dealing with your skill name's pronunciation, this allows you to set an alternate name to avoid the Todoist problem that is quite popular on Siri, where, uh, unfortunately, the Todo app Todoist is pronounced Todoist, I think, by Siri? Yeah, Todoist. Todoist. And uh, people have a hard time using Siri with Todoist, uh, even though its support is really great, you have to say it in a stupid way for it to actually work. You might also have a fancy Web 2.0 product name without any vowels, uh, and Alexa would struggle to understand that. So if you spell your product name correctly in the invocation name, Alexa will understand it. Uh, this also gets around other uh, edge cases, like if your product name is in least speak and you have numbers that are meant to represent letters or whatever, uh, you can't even input numbers into the invocation name. Uh, it won't let you do so. You have to spell out the numbers in words. And any abbreviations that you use in your invocation name should be spelled out as letters separated by periods to avoid ambiguity. Uh, so you want to put A period M instead of capital AM, otherwise it's going to call it M probably. Uh, and I believe it forces everything to lowercase as well. Uh, so the capitals wouldn't actually be useful in that case. So to do to do is correctly in the Amazon system, you would do to do dot est in, in a way in that naming scheme. I'm not sure about how to do is going to get away with it. Honestly, I haven't checked theirs. I could look it up, but I don't know. I, I haven't checked that specific case. Um, they also do recommend using at least two words because otherwise there's too much possibility for overlap, um, which is interesting, but I think certain companies might not enjoy that. The other thing that's important is that this invocation name is shown to users when they're browsing the skill directory so that they know how to invoke your skill. Otherwise, it would be really confusing to install something. Let's say you install, like, Star Wars Droid Sound Skill, and then you have to call it Star Trek Droid Sound Skill. (laughs) That would be such a tease. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, if they don't put it somewhere on the page, you have no idea what to call it to actually get the thing to work. You don't even know how to call it to uninstall the skill anymore, (laughs) which is kind of a problem. Uh, So yeah, it's displayed to the user if they're browsing the directory via the Alexa app or on the Amazon.com website. Okay, step three, we're getting to the juicy part. Intents, sample, utterances, and slots. This is where we start getting to the fun shit. And it really starts to deviate from what SiriKit allows you to do. So first I'm going to establish some vocabulary. Intents. This is a name or identifier which represents every feature of your skill that can get called via a voice phrase. Sample utterances. These are sample phrases with which you want to be able to call a specific intent. There can be multiple sample utterances per intent. Slots are variables within an utterance that get passed as arguments to your intents underlying function. So for our example skill, we're going to create two intents because I wanted to actually try out slots as well. So we're going to create live game intent and team game intent. 
Live game intent is for us to ask about the game that's currently happening, which at the time of recording is Shanghai Dragons versus NYXL. And I can tell you NYXL is probably beating them 4-0. to And there's team game intent, which allows us to ask about the latest game for a specific team. On top of that, we have to support three intents that all skills have to respond to. Amazon.cancel intent, Amazon.help intent, and Amazon.stop intent. And when I said that intents were merely names or identifiers for features of a skill, I meant it. There's no default implementation for the cancel, help, and stop intents, so you have to provide them yourself. And in fact, you won't get past approval if you don't have them. So what sample utterances are we going to add? Well, for live game intent, I added, what's the current score? Is there a game on right now? Tell me about the current game. Tell me about the live game. And then uh, team game intent, I think I only put one, which is kind of stupid, uh, but I put what was the score for the team name game. And of course, team name is in brackets so that it knows that it's a slot. Now, of course, we're going to need to configure that slot. So the first thing we need to do is create a slot called team name. If we go into the slot configuration, there are three things we need to set. A slot type, a slot filling configuration, and whether or not we ask for confirmation for that slot. So slot types indicate what the possible values are for a given slot. Uh, so if you say something that isn't exactly one of the things in the last list of answers, but it sounds very similar, Alexa will just say, oh, it sounds like he probably meant this, and it will snap to the closest match. There are a lot of predefined slot types that you can use. Cities, regions, first names, last names. Uh, these are often the top 1,000 uh, first names and last names in the region you're using, which is useful. Uh, there are also dynamic slot types, like date and time, numbers, uh, durations, uh, that don't take their values from a fixed list, but still are composed from elements of a fixed list. Uh, in our case, we want to be able to match the 12 teams in the Overwatch League, so we're creating a new custom list called Owl Team, and each team gets an entry with a value, in this case New York, an ID, which is going to be uh, its three-letter identifier in the league, which is NYE. And you can add as many synonyms as you want that make sense to also recognize as that same value. So you don't have to manually match those up yourself. So I'm going to put Excelsior, New York Excelsior, NYXL, New York Excel, which are all of these names that people also call the team from New York, which is the New York Excelsior. But you need to be exhaustive here. You need to do all of them to make sure that it matched correctly. Yeah, well, in the case of sports teams, it's like there's only going to be so many ways that people call their sports teams. Um, so, it, like, I think the Excelsior is one of the cases that has the most because, like, all of the other ones don't have long-ass pretentious names like New York Excelsior. Uh, they have dumb stuff like Miami Mayhem, you know? Uh, or I guess it's technically Florida Mayhem now, but whatever. Uh, so synonyms ensure that we only have 12 possible values in our list, but it will pass the same value to our function. So as I said, we don't have to match it ourselves. Then there's slot filling. Slot filling is a boolean that asks, is the slot allowed to be null or not? If it isn't, it's going to ask you for a sentence for the for Alexa to ask the user again for that specific slot's values if they left it out. And sample utterances for how a user might formulate their reply, because they might not necessarily just say the value, they might also say it in the context of a sentence. And the confirmation thing is really just if you're doing something destructive and you absolutely want to make sure that they said the correct thing before actually carrying out what they asked, uh, you can ask for confirmation as well. So let's press build and go get a coffee. Congratulations, we just finished our first Alexa skill inter interaction model. And you might be saying, what the fuck is an interaction model? What are we building exactly? So what's happening in the background while you're getting that coffee is Amazon servers are taking everything you input into the developer console and turns it into a machine learning language that will sit between Alexa and your skill. Once Alexa detects your invocation name, it'll hand off what the user says to the interaction model, which handles determining what intent is being called and with which arguments, if that intent's utterances have any slots. If any information is missing, then the interaction model will handle asking for that before passing the request along to your API endpoint. And most importantly, uh, that interaction model will look at your sample utterances and try to extrapolate many other alternate constructions of those utterances to recognize those as well, so you don't have to hard code hundreds of different ways to ask your skill for information into its model. And I want to stress that everything we've done so far has been done without writing a single line of code. 
so all of this is really in the developer console you just like it uh, the developer console is just asking you for configuration and you're just inputting it and voila yep and this is intentional because the team who works on Alexa has this theory that perhaps the great interface designers of the future won't come from a traditional UI design background or for a, from a computer uh, uh, computer programming background, but maybe more from a psychology or a screenwriting background, and they want to make the tools to develop the user interaction part of the skill completely usable by normal human beings. And that's why you don't write any code to do it. Like, you can do this entire thing in the AWS command line, but you're kind of crazy if you do it because it's a pain in the ass to do it that way. Whereas there, you can just like use the browser tools and they're very well made and user friendly and everything. So it's really great. Now, obviously, you're probably going to say, yeah, okay. So the skill is able to dispatch calls to her API endpoint, but you don't have an API endpoint yet. Good point. Um, but first, let's talk about step four, which is optional, but also interesting, which is additional interfaces. Uh, this doesn't apply to my skill, given the scope of my extension, but you can add richer functionality to your skill than what is provided by default by enabling specific interfaces. There are three interfaces available to me in Canada. Audio Player, which lets you play arbitrary st- streaming audio files. Display Interface, which lets you present a rich UI on an Echo device with a screen. And Video App, which allows you to provide video content to an Echo device with a screen. This is basically the video analog to Audio Player. Adding an interface generally means that you've got to provide implementations for various intents related to the functionality you're offering, such as stop, play, pause for Audio Player and video. That was the brief aside about additional interfaces. Let's get to implementing the API endpoint. The real coding begins. But before before I continue, uh, in those additional interfaces, could you just say like, oh, I want to know uh, about uh, the Overwatch, Overwatch call, and then on the screen it would uh, suggest you like which one to select without you talking to it if you add a screen or something like that, or it's really UI re, uh, UI built regarding uh your regarding the request you ask Alexa to do. Specifically for Echo devices with screens, uh, voice is always the primary interface, and what you present on screen basically maps to voice interactions behind the scenes. Uh, you can present a list of values visually on an Echo show, but behind the scenes it really just it calls your intent with that argument like if it was done via voice. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. And you have limited templates you can use. You don't have custom UI power over those screens because obviously an Echo Spot is going to be very different with its tiny screen and round screen compared to an Echo Show, which is a widescreen 16:9 display that's in your kitchen and rather big. So you can't do custom UI layout. You have to use one of their templates, which is unfortunately quite limiting for certain types of applications that don't fit into lists or things with giant uh, hero images that you want to display on the screen. Hmm, I see. Yeah, I would expect them to kind of provide you with kind of data source object and then you, you they use those feed data source object to their own like templated UI. That's more or less how it works, yeah. Okay, good. All right, so behind the scenes, your interaction model translates the user's phrase into an API call. More specifically, it's a standard HTTPS POST request with a JSON payload to any web service containing the intent and its arguments. You can host this anywhere you can host an HTTPS web service, or you can use Amazon's own AWS Lambda serverless compute service. Now, I would suggest if you are a hobbyist to use AWS Lambda because the free tier gives you the first million requests for free every month. And even if you go over that, Amazon is quite generous with crediting your first $100 of AWS usage every month if you're using it to deploy an Alexa skill because it benefits their ecosystem. Uh, and you can find out more information. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to sign up for that program if you do so. Now, when you're choosing what language to use behind the scenes to develop that API endpoint, uh, you can actually get extra help in Node.js and Java environments because they have made the Alexa skills kit SDKs for those languages. I decided to be brave and use Node on Lambda for Horned Owl uh, just because the example code I saw for Java looked absolutely repulsive, and I wanted to use the Alexa Skills SDK because it looked interesting. Uh, So yeah, I went with Node because it was the least repulsive of the two. It wasn't my first experience writing against Node.js. We did a little bit of that in my last job trying to integrate an Angular build system into uh, Visual Studio, and I had to do some custom integration stuff. 
but it was my first time interacting with the HTTPS request in Node because the Overwatch League API is on an HTTPS server, and it was strangely much lower level than I was expecting from a high-level language like JavaScript. Uh, you're used to, like, beautiful front-ends like uh, jQuery Ajax or whatever, and then you come to this and it's like, you have to manually... Uh, merge together the, chunk, the chunks of data as it streams over the network. And I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm in the Stone Ages. Uh, <laughs> it was really weird. But yeah, I, I'm not going to go too much into details about how to implement API endpoints because literally you have a function, you do the stuff in the function, you call a response method with the phrase you want Alexa to say, and you say, I am ready for the next uh, interaction. And that's pretty much it. You, it's pretty much free to do whatever you want. If you want to treat the uh, Alexa JSON manually uh, using a language that doesn't have the Alexa Skills SDK, it's not that much more work on top of it. It's just a nice wrapper that does it for you uh, in Node or Java. And there are third-party libraries for other systems as well. Step six and beyond, submitting your skill for approval. So I should note that I haven't done this yet. And the reason for this is, first of all, I don't have an icon for my skill. Second of all, technically the API for Overwatch League is not public. So that's a thing. And the other thing is I'm not super satisfied with the performance of my skill because the since the API is not actually public, it's very much made for whatever uh, client-side uh, view framework they're using. I'm not sure which one it is. I didn't actually look into it. But it returns every single game in the season, so all of the games played in 2018, in one object, which I fetch every time you ask it something that I can't get from the live game, which is a separate call. Which means I am draining a bunch of data for no reason every single time. And I really wish I could say, like, I just want information about, like, add a where clause, just give me games from this team or something to at least whittle down the data to the current stage that's being played or uh the current the team that I want or just give me this week's game it'll be enough to actually get the context for what I want there's no ability to whittle that down so I have to download the full 2018 season information every time you ask an information and it takes a while so i am hoping that maybe next stage they'll make the api public i hope i don't have to wait until 2019 but yeah until I can get the performance reasonable for all requests, I don't think I want this to really ship. But I will put the source code up on GitHub so people can go look at it. So anyway, back to the actual approval process. All of this is based on things I have heard, either on the Alexa Dev podcast or from reading documentation. You need to submit your Alexa skill to the Amazon review team each time you want to deploy a new version of your interaction model. What is kind of weird about this is that the underlying backend can be updated as often as you like, whether it's on your servers or AWS Lambda, because it's completely independent of your actual skill. So you could actually submit a Star Wars droid sound skill and then change the backend so it only plays Star Trek sounds and piss off the Star Wars people. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> Not sure if that's the wisest idea, but you can totally do it. And basically what the testing process is, is they will try to formulate requests in a variety of ways that mimic how average users would use a skill like yours. And if something they think your skill your skill should understand doesn't work, they will let you know and tell you that you need to add this to your sample utterances or that to your sample utterances or give you some idea of weird formulations that you might not have thought of. So in a way, it's a minimal layer of user testing before you hit the mass market. And from what I can hear, like, people are very thankful for that. Uh, like, when you get the feedback back from them, unlike the App Store, it tends to be very useful feedback and not just, we rejected your app because here is a string of numbers uh, referring to a rule that maybe we made up this week. So that is cool. Before we go to my overall impressions, good resources for developers. So first of all, Go check out the Alexa developer site at alexa.design. It has extensive documentation on all of this stuff, though in true Amazon fashion, it's organized in a way that makes absolutely no sense to anyone. Except Amazon people. Of course. However, you can press the handy-dandy send to Kindle button in the top of the navbar, which I don't know why Apple doesn't have send to iBooks everywhere, but there you go. 
The official Alexa Developer YouTube channel has some pretty great recordings of some webinars they've done recently explaining the design process you should go through when designing an Alexa skill, which is really cool. Uh, the Alexa Cookbook project on GitHub features a lot of good and varied code examples for very common scenarios you would want to do. If you want to make a remote API request, they show you how to do it. If you want to support slots in your application, they show you how to do it. And they show you how to do it in multiple languages. Usually Node, Python, and Java are up there at the minimum. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the Alexa Dev Podcast, it's incredibly infrequent, but when it does happen, it can be very interesting. Okay, overall impressions. Alexa skill development is the most hackathon-friendly technology I've seen in a long, long time. It reminds me of the good old days of Web 2.0, where everything had an API, and tools like Yahoo Pipes would allow you to easily mash up services together trivially. A lot of the things you'd assume would be complicated about developing an Alexa skill aren't, because they're all abstracted behind a very nice dashboard in your browser and involve configuration over code. There is basically no boilerplate code, so the coding effort required to turn something into an Alexa skill is almost exactly the same as it would be to do that same task in any other development environment. Like, you just take the bit of code that does the thing you want to do, and you throw it in a function, and it just does it, and it works. One of the things that is unfortunate is slots being limited by slot types and not having the possibility for arbitrary text input. Uh, so like I said, if there's a new Overwatch League team that comes out next week, uh, well, it's not going to happen next week, but let's say it does, uh, I have to go in and manually edit my model and add it to the slot list because otherwise it won't be able to recognize that value, uh, which is unfortunate. Siri basically understands this arbitrary text input and can pipe it to your application, whereas you have to deal with slots on Alexa, which can be limiting for certain types of applications. But in the end, because it gets converted into an API, Earl, it does make sense that they want you to kind of define the conversion value. So it, it, you said the, the New York team should be converted to their code. So uh, NYE, right? Yeah. And I guess in part of the API, you're just sending the code, not the string you receive from the voice command. Yeah, I'm I'm just filtering for uh, the games that match the NYE code in the API response that I get. Yeah, so I, I, I can understand the way you're describing it, that it will make it hard to just like give blank here, unless like you do that mapping on your, on the server yourself, which is kind of what I think Siri wants you to do. In the example that I'm giving of the Overwatch League thing, like arbitrary text input doesn't actually benefit me that much because let's be honest, there are only going to be new teams every year and it's going to be announced in the off season. So I'm going to have time to get my skill approved in time for the start of the season. Like that's not a big deal. But I mean, if you are a third party to do app, I don't see how you can add to dos to your list if you don't support arbitrary text input because your user will want to say their task name however they want to say it, and right now the slot system doesn't support that at all. See what I mean? Yeah. Whereas Siri, because it has those domains of what it supports, um, it can handle, like, it can say, okay, this is a blank, and I can just take that whole blank and hand it off to the application. And yeah, it's sort of a pain in the ass if you that blank has a meaning, but if it's just a string that you are dumping into a field, you don't really care. And right now, there's no way to just do arbitrary, give me a string that I can dump into my application with Alexa. Or at least I have not been able to find out, if find a way to do it, if there is a way. Getting to actually develop an Alexa skill has made me realize a primary difference in Amazon and Apple's approaches to their voice assistants. And that is that Siri is a feature, while Alexa is a platform. Siri is a feature that a certain class of applications can extend upon. To be perfectly accurate, Siri is a brand name that encompasses many tangentially related features that may or may not share underpinnings. And, like, I had written this before yesterday's The Information article that basically confirmed this, but it was obvious from the outside already. <laughs> like, we've known this for years, it's not a surprise. It's not really a platform because Siri doesn't live independently from Apple's devices. Each device's instance of Siri is isolated from the others, and each device's capabilities may wildly differ from other devices. And SiriKit support, which is when a third-party application supports Siri, is just an extension point to, for an application to take advantage of, and that application is only running on your local device. The Siri cloud has no notions of 
what SiriKit is or what SiriKit applications you have. Whereas Alexa is a voice-enabled computer in the cloud, and Echo devices are merely terminals for that computer. If I buy other Echoes or talk to Alexa via client apps on my phone or tablet, I'm speaking to my personal instance of Alexa at all times with the same skills I chose for her everywhere and the same knowledge about me that she has uh, everywhere. And you just see a very big difference in the way that Apple and Amazon talk about these uh, voice assistants to developers. It's really just crazy. Like, I think if Apple tried to position Siri as a platform, they would not have a choice but to improve it faster than they do because it would be an embarrassment to them otherwise. The only way they sort of mask the fact that they're behind is that they only view it as an extra feature on top of iOS, which is the actual platform, which is improving quicker than Alexa is. And I think that's a disservice right now, and it's really not what Siri needs to improve. I think Siri is a bigger deal than Apple realizes it is. And like people who have been listening to this show for a really long time probably remember that I was never really sold on the idea of voice interfaces and that I don't like talking to inanimate objects. And without wanting to spoil my eventual Echo review, uh, which is going to happen later this year on the show, the Echo has really changed how I view voice interfaces to think that this is a much bigger deal than any of us actually realized, and that actually I'm really excited for this technology because it feels like the next iPhone-like breakthrough. And I'd like to know what you think about that, because you're pretty embedded in the Siri ecosystem compared to me. Um, embedded is a big word, I would say, I guess. Well, you've got HomeKit stuff, whereas I think HomeKit is a joke. True, but HomeKit stuff is really recent because of Homebridge, right? Yeah. Uh, personally. Um, and I would say that because of HomeKit, my Siri usage grew a bit more. Because to be honest, in the past few years, Siri has been used, uh, mainly to put timers via the phone and then sometimes to reply to stuff in the car, like I mentioned in the past episode about CarPlay. But I think what was the most jarring to me while you were describing the weight to the skill is I never looked too much at SiriKit. But I do know, remember how to do typical iOS app extensions, and they're not trivial to do. And this, like Amazon Skill, anybody can do it. It's so simple the way you describe it. Of course, the, you'll be, you'll need developer skills when you need to receive the data from the Echo itself and from the Skill itself. So there's, there should be a kind of a middle layer that you described that could convert from the uh, API call to the real, like, data API call. And But but that, if you just want to build it for somebody else that are maybe not in the business case of building Amazon skills, you can do it for you, and then you can just build this. And I think that's what you mostly did, right? The, the code you'll be publishing on GitHub is mostly just a conversion layer between the uh, API call you receive from the Echo device to the real Overwatch quote-unquote API. Yeah. So uh, building that with minimal uh, like programming knowledge is quite simple. Of course, if you also need to build the data API, it becomes a bigger task. But to kind of, I think you compared it a bit to Yahoo piping. Like to kind of do that or IFTTT, right? It's just like you plugging one side to the other and then the other with the other. And then to me, that is just like the power of it. Like I didn't know too much about it. And just that compared to what Siri can do is just amazing. And there are third party uh, tools which actually let you do the entire, like if you're just doing API calls like I'm doing to an external API, there are tools that let you create an Alexa skill without any programming knowledge at all. They just like dump out JavaScript code that you can put into Lambda and then you're ready to go and you have an Alexa skill without knowing programming. The Alexa team has even said, we are trying to get more of these tools out there because we think we don't want the best skill ideas to be limited by someone with no programming knowledge. We want them to be able to get out there. And eventually, they even want to be able to have you be able to create skills by asking Alexa directly, which I am not entirely convinced of right now, but they have done a lot of cool shit in the last year, so I am willing to believe them to a certain degree. So, yeah, and I looked at how SiriKit works. I watched one of the SiriKit sessions from, I think, last year's WWDC or the year they introduced SiriKit. And yeah, you've got two extensions to create. 
often you are sharing some level of objects with the underlying application. And I think that's also sort of a mistake. I think it's easier if you think about it from a purely cloud mentality, like, I just want to make API calls. I don't want to be bothered with the implementation details of my application. Because in a way, that's sort of what it is. Like, uh, yeah, you can put that stuff in a framework that's shared between your application and all that stuff. And if you practice good code hygiene, you can reuse that code in all three places. But first of all, that is incredibly more complex than what I described doing with Alexa. And it's more limited at the end of the day because SiriKit only supports specific domains of applications and not arbitrary utterances like uh, like Alexa enables. Right, and let's be honest here, like both companies plays on their advantages, right? Apple is an app-centric company and Amazon is running the web, right? So of course it makes sense that they kind of want you to do web calls because also they'll provide you with the web server to do that. And on Apple sites, it makes sense that they want to add those functionality to the apps because they should be integrated, like you said. Siri is a feature, not a platform. So it should be integrated on the real platform, which in this case is iOS. But to a certain degree, like I thought about it a little bit and I was like, maybe the reason that they're not enabling Siri in the cloud at all is because of iCloud support. But then I was like, wait a second, they make CloudKit web services which by the way we never hear about ever which i don't think i don't think i've ever seen anyone who actually uses that which is worrisome to begin with um if i recall correctly one passage uses it before they launch one password.com but they are a big proponent of cloudkit no cloudkit yes but cloudkit web services where you can use it from a web app yeah i think they were using that in the mac app before it was supported by the mac app because they are outside of the store. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I think in the recent version, they switched to using the Cocoa APIs because now Apple approves, uh, allows it. But before they were using the JavaScript, I think it was the APIs in JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. So they were using the web service stuff, right? Okay, but let's be honest. That's not in the context no. that it was meant to be used, right? Uh, no, no, for sure. <laughs> So yeah, but I I don't think I've actually ever seen anyone using it in a web context, which says a lot about how much people want to use CloudKit on the web, I guess. But yeah, so I I can't really think of any reasons why they wouldn't want Siri in the cloud, especially now with the HomePod, which, uh, again, according to yesterday's uh, The Information piece, apparently HomePod was originally developed with no, no Siri at all. It was just going to be a music speaker. And... Then the Echo came out and they were like, well, maybe we can add Siri to this, which just reinforces my thing that Siri is a feature, not a platform. And if you look at the reviews, people are like confused. They're like, well, the only way to do anything useful in Siri when it works is if your phone is nearby. So that sucks. Why can't the HomePod just be an independent device that talks to Siri in the cloud? And that's because Siri in the cloud isn't really a thing. It's half in the cloud and half locally on your device. And that doesn't really work for how people perceive Siri in their head. They think Siri is a single entity in the cloud that knows everything about all their devices. And in reality, it's not like that at all. And it's kind of a giant mess and an embarrassment. And Apple needs to get their shit together because they are way behind. And I mean, a lot of people are going to pull out like the sort of Apple apologist card of like, well, technically, all of these voice assistants are incredibly primitive. And in 25 years, uh, Maybe Apple will be ahead. Uh, and in fact, maybe it doesn't matter that Apple is behind right now because they are behind in different ways. And Amazon is the different, is behind in different ways from where we will be in 25 years. And I'm like, yes, of course, technology is going to be better in 25 years and everyone is behind on what it will be in 25 years. Good shit. Good shit. Wow. I, I really like your imitation, by the way. Really like it. I've read so many fucking blog posts since the HomePod launch that are like, it's completely excusable that the HomePod in version of Siri is bad because in 25 years it will be good. And I'm like, wow, wow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And from what I've heard, I know some people. I have a colleague from work and a friend that got one, and one of them is like, oh, it's okay, but multi-language support is shit. Of course, it's not here, so it's it's not officially shipped here. And the other one's like, yeah, Siri's just 
an abomination on it. And it's surprising because, like, I think part of the other problem that Siri has right now is, like, you have one experience on the iPhone, you have a different experience on the Apple TV, and then you have a different one on HomeKit, and you might have even a different one on the Mac. You do have a different one on the Mac, and then you might have a different one on the iPad, too. It's like Siri is just different on the platform you're using it, and that doesn't make sense. Even for the, the double, normal typical stuff, is it is a bit too device centric and that's i think where the amazon stuff shines definitely and i am moving in july and i'm going to be getting some smart home stuff and i'm looking forward to siri uh not siri alexa playing a greater role in the smart home stuff because right now it only has a single hue bulb which is kind of limiting um but i i am very satisfied right now with alexa and like i said like i i see a future where these voice assistants become just normal things that everybody has in their home and it becomes a normal part of everyday life. I think every municipality should have an Alexa skill that handles frequently asked questions about municipal matters, like when is the trash day, when is recycling, all of that stuff. You shouldn't have to manually update a calendar yourself and put that calendar in Alexa. Alexa should just be able to tell you because you have the municipal skill. Same thing for transit authority. Is the bus nearby? Uh, All that stuff. I think it should become like this new interface for stuff that we have to manually look up on the internet all the time. I think like even Google is sort of a better position than Apple right now to do that stuff because they have a cloud-centric voice assistant and they have the integration of platforms where people use Google on the desktop or Chrome on the desktop. They use Android phones in large parts. They have the watch story with Wear OS by Google. <laughs> Lol, topical news thing here. Um, they have Chromecast. Like they have a pretty wide ecosystem that they sort of sneaked into people's homes. And now with Google Home as well, like they have an integration play that's very similar to what Apple can do, except they have the cloud part of the voice assistant figured out, which is way more menacing than. Alexa might be because Alexa only has the echoes and that's pretty much it. But anyway, that, that, that was a very meandering conclusion to say that developing Alexa skills is cool and I hopefully will be writing more in the future. Yeah, it's funny we we kind of diverge away from like talking about developing uh, Alexa skills and just like being like, oh my god, Apple, you suck at the uh, voices. Well, it's because the Siri Kid story isn't compelling at all right now and. It feels like we say this every year and it never gets better. And I don't know where people get this weird optimism that Siri is going to get better in the next year <laughs> because now the HomePod exists, uh, especially when Siri being on the HomePod sort of happened by accident. It's kind of weird. And if you want to be a pragmatist and want to do cool voice assistant stuff today, don't bother wasting your time with Siri and just get an Alexa device and you will have a fun time. But your mileage may vary outside of the United States because maybe the cool skills aren't enabled in your country. Good. So if you want to see all of the show notes that Yannick will have prepared for developing Amazon Amazon Alexa skills, you can go on the website at limitlesspossibility.net slash 85. If you want to look at the back catalog of episodes, you can also go on limitlesspossibility.net. If you want to follow the latest news about this podcast and see when uh, the next episode is out, or maybe our next live episode is out, you can find the show on Twitter at, at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find myself on Twitter at, at Lucanush. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And you can find Nick at Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And we'll see each other in two weeks. See you in two weeks.